0: Good morning, New Eden Church family. Uh, I pray that you all are doing well. This is not necessarily um, how we plan the next few weeks to go. Um, I'm sitting here in my office speaking to a camera um, again. And so this isn't what we envisioned. Um, After we launched last week, we had a great time singing with you all. It was amazing. But due to a confirmed case of COVID within our church family, um, as small as we are, we felt it best to just take a couple weeks off uh, to spend time together. Um, So we're going to release a video. Uh, The goal is every Sunday uh, for the next few weeks to just supplement um, your time in the Word and also to continue going through our Flourish series. So we launched last week talking about mission and vision. And then we've got three core truths that we're planning on teaching on each week. And so we're going to teach through this video format um, each Sunday for the next three weeks. And then our plan is to regather August second that Sunday. And so again, if you're watching this and you're not a part of New Eden, but you're interested in learning more, you can connect with us um, by texting New Eden. That's all one word, New Eden to 97000. We would love to connect with you. That'll get us some information so we can do that. And then if you just want to stay informed about things, especially during a season like this, as we had to send out a text this week saying, hey, um, we are not meeting this Sunday. Um, You can do that. Subscribe to those texts by texting New Eden Info. Again, that's all one word to 97,000. New Eden Info to 97,000. And then again, you can always give uh, to the mission uh, that... God has called us on uh, by going to newedenchurch.org slash give, and you can give, set up recurring giving, uh, things like that, or you can just give one-time gifts. You can also give to our startup cost that we are raising. We're over a third of the way there. We're trying to raise $15,000 worth of cost um, through the end of this month. So we'd love for you to contribute to that if you're able. So what we're going to do is just kind of jump into a quick teaching um, to talk about the core truth, uh, our first core truth, which is Jesus is King and the advancement of his kingdom cannot be stopped. So last week we talked about our vision and mission. So vision is where we want to go. Mission is what God's called us to do to get there. Both of those are given to us from the scriptures. We believe that firmly. So our vision at New Eden is the flourishing of Decatur for the good of the world. And we we talked last week what we mean by flourishing because Different people can mean different things when we talk about flourishing. But the flourishing of Decatur is that people are in right relationship with God, first and foremost, and then a right relationship with each other, and then a right relationship in the world, whether that be with creation, um, animals, whether that be with the the justice systems, things like that. It is a place where people can flourish, um, and God rules and God reigns. It's that rule and reign of God flooding the entire earth. And then our mission, we looked at being a people who make disciples— Again, given to us in the scriptures who worship, abide in, and reflect King Jesus in all of life. So that's the mission, our part in that is to make disciples, to teach people about Jesus and the way of Jesus, and to be a disciple making people. As we, it's an identity, so we're calling people into the story of God through the person and work of Jesus. The only way it can happen, it's not by earning it, not by good deeds or good works, but rather by trusting and believing in the good news of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about some today. And so that's our mission. But as we go about that, there are three core truths that we have that keep us grounded. The three three core truths. The first one is Jesus is king and the advancement of his kingdom cannot be stopped. The second one is every human as has inherent dignity and worth because they are created in the image of God. And the third one is the unified and diverse called out church is the means of God's restoring work in the world. And so today we're going to look at the first one, Jesus is king and the advancement of his kingdom cannot be stopped stopped. So for the bulk of this teaching and for every one of our core truths, we have three values that flow from them. But for the bulk of our teaching, we want to focus on the truth because the truth is what transforms us, right? That's the true statement. It cannot change. Our opinions about it can't change. Whether or not we believe it or obey it can't change. But but the truth allows our values to flow from that. And so we've got um, three values that flow from the core truth of Jesus as king and about his kingdom. We'll talk about those quickly at the end. But for the book of our time, I just want to focus on what we mean when we say Jesus is king and the advancement of his kingdom cannot be stopped. Right? So Jesus is king. We know that Jesus came on the scene and he began to announce God's kingdom, right? But we need to know what he meant by that. And so to understand this, there's two main things we need to see. The first one that we need to see is the story of humanity and Israel. So we talked about this a little bit last week, but all good theology starts back in the garden, back where God began things and began his creation story. And so we go all the way back to Genesis and we see that God created all things and he called them good. Meaning he was the one, he was the creator, so he got to establish what was good and right and perfect and whole. And so he is the king, Yahweh, right, as he reveals himself later, is the king of all creation. He's the one in charge. Now, in our culture, authority often is seen as a negative thing. And the problem is that people have abused authority and we're very sensitive towards that. But the answer to abusive authority is not no authority. And it's not to just cast off all authority. See, the rule and reign and authority of God is a massively good thing because it is where flourishing can exist. So God not only sets up this creation project that he has where flourishing happens and he calls things good and perfect and right, then he creates humanity and he invites them into this journey and into this process. Uh, We're told that the first humans are given this command to work and to keep the earth, to work it and to keep it. This word work, to cultivate it, to steward it, to protect it. And they were to do this as worship to God. So they are image bearers, vice regents ruling together with God in his kingdom. So there is this longing placed inside of humans from creation for purpose and belonging and even a sense of power. Now we're going to define what we mean by that because power in and of itself is not evil. Now the abuse of power is doubly evil, but power in and of itself is given and granted to then steward and to bring about flourishing in the world, and that's what humans are given. But that's where the fall happens and we see an abuse of power and authority. Right, So then there's friction, there's infighting. Um, We do see humans try to work together, but it's to make their own name and to build their own kingdom. We see that in the Tower of Babel. And so then we see languages confounded and spread throughout the earth um, because if humans are given the ability to... uh, come together with that power to just abuse it, then they're going to continue hurting others and themselves in the process. And so God in his good grace um, kind of spreads out that power. But we see in the fall the abuse of power and authority. Um, Eventually in the story, we see God call out Israel and he is supposed to be their king to show the world what it looks like to submit to the good rule and reign of God. That's the point of Israel we talked about last week. They are a kingdom of priests, so they're showing the world what flourishing looks like and inviting the rest of the nations into their story. Um, But eventually, instead of choosing God as their king, they choose earthly kings, right? And there's a warning even from God that if you do that, it's not going to go well for you. And, of course, that's how it went. Even the best of kings, like King David and King Solomon, we get glimpses at flourishing. But even the best of earthly kings are still very deeply flawed, and the scriptures do not hide that truth. Eventually, the nation of Israel is led to exile, and their kingdom is, is in ruins. The city of Jerusalem is in ruins, but in the midst of, of their rebellion and in the midst of this exile, which was the fruit of their rebellion, there is this promise of that, that God, who Yahweh, their king, would come back one day and establish Jerusalem, and it would be this flourishing place where honey flowed and gold was plenty, and there was shalom, and there was peace, and enemies, and people that sought to destroy them would all be cast outside of that kingdom, never more to bother them again. And so we see these promises of this messenger who would come one day to declare this good news that God reigns. That's what we mean when we say the kingdom of God, it's the place where God reigns. In Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7, we see this. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so there's this story of this messenger who has beautiful feet, right? Now, by human earthly standards, they've been running and the story of this, the cultural background of this is when there would be a great battle that would be won. There would be a messenger who would come back to the people to declare that they have won the battle and that we have reigned, we have won. And so there is a story of this messenger who would come back, feet most likely bloody and beat up from running on rough rocks and through the plains and coming in, wore out, but saying, hey, we won. And in the case of this messenger who has beautiful feet, not because his feet are beautiful, but because of the news he brings, the news he brings is that there's peace and happiness and salvation. Why? Because God reigns. That is the primary push and aim of his message is God reigns this is the gospel of the kingdom that God reigns it's good news it's the same kind of good news this thought continues and we're going to see in a minute into the new covenant people of God and into the new testament where this gospel this good news is heralded or proclaimed we see the thought continue in Isaiah chapter 61 It says there, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Prophecy of this anointed messenger. Because the Lord, Yahweh, King, has anointed me to bring good news. We see that word good news again to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. We see this kingdom is a good kingdom that takes ashes and turns it to beauty, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why we talked about this last week that he may be glorified this is the hope of good news that the people of Israel carried in the midst of exile in the midst of brokenness in the midst of rebellion there was a hope that someone would come to establish a kingdom that was good and right and just and whole sin would be dealt with and all the effects of the fall would be undone in this kingdom and so that's kind of the first thing that we need to see, this background of the story of humanity and the story of Israel. And the second thing we need to see is when Jesus comes on the scene, who is our king, and we're going to see this, we need to understand the cultural expectations of a king in the day of Jesus. So. Now, we don't fully understand this. We live in a democratic society, so we all, in, to one degree or another, most of us have a degree of, of power in the exercising of our votes or in our voice, whether that be on the local level or the national level. We somewhat understand authority but not in the way that they understood it where a king was placed into power uh, whether it was a struggle or whether it was based on birth whatever it was but when they were placed into power they were set there to rule and to reign and their word was what they said became law and so the expectation of a king was one who was domineering who was full of power and military might and control because they had to have that to Uh, continue to retain that power and that control and that was the expectation and and this is what the model was even in the day of the people of israel in the day of jesus when he comes on the scene kind of this perfect storm where caesar was lord or king and so he ruled and reigned and he would even have his image bearing statues in various places which let everyone around there know that what he said went and this was the roman rule And the people of Israel were looking for a deliverer to come and overthrow this earthly Roman rule and establish an earthly rule that was led by Yahweh and by the people of Israel. And so kind of um, exchanging one group of earthly people in power for another. But then Jesus comes on the scene And we see this um, with his even disciples, he starts calling his disciples and even they wanted to take him, right? I mean, he's spending years with these guys and they still misunderstood the kingdom because they were so inundated with the cultural expectations of what a king was supposed to do. To the point even, he has a couple of his disciples say, hey, can we rule and reign and sit at your right hand when you come in power and control? And the interesting thing is, if you remember, humans were created with this innate desire for power But we've abused it. It was meant to steward it. Jesus doesn't condemn them for wanting power. He condemns them for their expectation of what power was. And he goes on to tell them that unless you're like a little child, and he says the least... Of these in an earthly sense will be the greatest in the kingdom. Children were not adored like they are in our society. So, for him to say that children were the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and yet to come into the kingdom like a child was telling them that it wasn't about being the most, uh, the, the strongest physically, it wasn't about being the sharpest mentally, it was about um, following Jesus and his way. And he's taking the cultural expectations of a kingdom and flipping them upside down to show the way that his kingdom. Worked. he's given us these hints that his kingdom is not like this age and not like this world and this is good news for us and the reason why it's good is because all kingdoms of this age abuse power and control at one point or another or they all fall and so there is no earthly way to retain power without abusing that power but the kingdom gives us a whole new way it's not even a balance between the two Jesus began his earthly ministry, giving us hints at this. If you remember last week, we talked briefly about his temptation in the wilderness and the enemy tempting him. We saw him as the better human and the better Israel. But what's interesting about that is what the enemy was tempting him with was earthly power. And Jesus passed by that. The enemy said, you can have all this earthly power and kingdoms. And he passed by that um, instead to follow the way of his father. He withstood that temptation. But the interesting thing is the very next story we get in Luke, in Luke's account of this story, the very next story we get is Jesus going into the temple, which was something he did a lot. It was his custom, we're told. But he goes into the temple and he stands up and reads scripture. But here's the thing that's interesting. As he begins his earthly ministry of declaring the kingdom of God, he picks Isaiah 61 to read, which we read a minute ago. So Luke 4:17 gives us this account. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is what he says He's quoting, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is explicitly calling himself. This, this messenger, he's the one announcing the good news. He's proclaiming God's kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. This is what we mean, gospel. The word means good news. So we use that word as a cliche a lot, but it means good news, the good news of this kingdom. So the kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish, when we hear kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, used simultaneously in different gospels, it's any place where God is recognized and submitted to as king his way is followed and honored. He's given glory. But here's what's crazy about this passage, its absolutely nuts. So Jesus calls himself the messenger here to proclaim this good news. But then if you look in Luke 4, 20, you keep reading just the next verse. It says, he rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. And so the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, right? So he claimed authority of the scripture when he read it before, but now he sits down. He's not even in that place of authority anymore, but what he says, everybody's listening, and he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So now he's not claiming on the authority of the scriptures anymore. He's telling them explicitly and flat out, claiming authority just because he is who he is And he says, today this has been fulfilled. So Jesus is not only the messenger, he is the point of the message. He is the king who is coming to proclaim liberty to the captives and to loose those that are bound. He is not only the messenger, he is the king. This is his divinity on full display. He should not have been able to say this. Only Yahweh could call himself Lord, but Jesus is saying that he is the fulfillment of that, and he can do that because he's a God in flesh. He's not just a messenger, not just a teacher. Yes, he's those things, but he's also Yahweh. He is Lord. So this would have been scandalous. You weren't supposed to refer to yourself as king. Only Yahweh could do that, but he does that. It was also scandalous because for Jesus to claim that he was king was to say that Caesar was not. This was a very political statement for Jesus to claim kingship and lordship is to say that any earthly system that claims authority, is, claims final authority is, is flawed and is not who it says he is or they are. And so Jesus claims authority, and he does this. The the rest of the stories, I mean, continue to show him having power over the seas and over demons and over sickness and all these things meant to show his authority. But what's so interesting is like the scope of the story is not him abusing that power and authority, but rather using it to love even his enemies. We read that in John when he's given all authority. Jesus knows that he has all authority given to him. And again, if that was me, I would have probably destroyed Judas who was sitting over here because I'm sitting in this upper room with my 12 disciples. Probably would have got rid of everybody so I don't have to face any kind of earthly death and the weight of what was coming. But instead, the next thing we see him do after he's granted all power and authority and control as he gets up and he grabs a towel and washes the feet of his disciples. This was reserved for the lowest of the low. Again, feet were not beautiful, right? They were dirty and they were uh, dusty and and calloused and gross. And this act of washing the feet of people who came and dined and reclined was saved for the lowest of the low. But Jesus takes that role and he washes the feet of his disciples, even his enemy, Judas. And when he does this, he's showing us what true power and authority looks like. What the way of the kingdom is, as he takes the lowest seat. He's not trying to destroy those that disagree with him. He's not trying to own them. Rather, he is serving them. The king of the universe, the one who created the very feet, he's washing. This is what he does. He shows us that the guiding ethic of his kingdom is not abusing power or control, but rather love. We see a story of a scribe coming up and asking him what the greatest commandment is. And he sums up love God and love others kind of into one commandment that are linked together. And you can't separate the two. And the scribe agrees and he says, you're not far from the kingdom because you're starting to get it. On those two commands hang everything that we've ever held on to, all the law and the prophets. Everything is sum up, summed up in love God and love others. And he doesn't only tell us to love, he shows us the way. See, true love, true kingdom love is not this sappy, shallow kind of fleeting love that you can fall in and fall out that kind of tolerates people, right? Just you know, puts up with them. True love is a bloody Jewish king beaten and crucified on a torture instrument to die for the sins of even his enemies. That's what we're told in First John. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is where love is, comes from and flows from is from jesus loving us his enemies see jesus the king of the universe he was the king but his coronation was not this beautiful ceremony with shouts of praise where people worshiped him and they placed this gaudy throne on his head and this beautiful velvet robe around him and he's marched up to this elevated throne where everybody bows down to him That's not the coronation we see for this Jesus, though it's what he rightly deserved, rather the coronation we see for this Jesus. The picture painted for us in the Gospels was he was led outside the city, and instead of a gaudy crown, it was this crown of thorns placed into the head of Jesus. A robe mockingly placed on him, a sign mocking him, saying, the king of the Jews, and they would say, hail, king of the Jews. His elevation was not on a throne, but on a bloody cross reserved for criminals, placed in between two criminals. And through all this, he forgives his enemies and takes the full brunt of death's blows. Little did they know as they said, Hail, King of the Jews, that they were unknowingly and unwittingly declaring that he was the King of the world who would bring in all nations. As he lays up on the cross and forgives his enemies and surrenders his will to the fathers with his last breath, he says, it is finished. He's drank the cup of God's wrath down to the last drop and he's placed in a tomb and three days later he rises again. Even though they had placed their hope in this king and they thought all hope had been lost and this one who had declared he was gonna be a king had died, that's not how kings were supposed to rule and reign, it wasn't supposed to be that way. But in the resurrection, he proves that he is not only the king of Israel, but the king of the world and he defeats death and death no longer has dominion over him. Sin could not control him and the enemy could not do anything with him and he is king, he has dominion. His kingdom cannot be stopped. Every other earthly kingdom will rise and fall, but His is eternal. That's why we don't place hope in any political system or any political party. Our hope is not in America becoming great again, whatever that even means, right? Our hope is not in the progressive agenda or the conservative agenda. Our hope is in the kingdom of Jesus coming now as it is in heaven and one day in its fullness. Yes, it's a political statement. Yes, it will offend us if our hope is in political parties or in political systems, but thank God our hope is not. It is in a person, Jesus, who conquered death, sin, and the grave so he can conquer every injustice. He can keep us, he can hold us until the very end. That's good news, and that's what we mean when we say Jesus is king and the advancement of his kingdom cannot be stopped the beauty of this, we're invited into this story to reign with him. As we quit trying to use methods of this age and ways of this age to see advancement, as we trust him, even when it seems like all hope is lost, we surrender our lives to his and we trust in his death, burial, and resurrection to redeem us because we could not fix our brokenness on our own we are all sinners it's not just that the world around us is unjust yes it is but there's also unjust sin in our hearts and it demands to be dealt with and if all evil is to be cast outside the kingdom well that's good news till you realize that there's evil in our own hearts and we need something to be done but Jesus was cast outside the city on our behalf so we could be brought in that's how we trust him and we're invited into this story to be a part of this new creation project as he unleashes this good news on the world, and he's going to come back to finish it one day. We see this story in Revelation 5 where they're asking who's worthy to open the scroll, this kind of blueprint of the new creation. Who can make this happen? Who can make the kingdom come in its fullness? Who can do it? And John weeps because there's no one found worthy. We all have unjust sin in our hearts. There's no one who can make this happen. Who could bring a just kingdom when there's not even a just king? But, He tells them to weep no more because the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Someone has done it. Someone has won the battle. And John looks, so he hears about this lion of the tribe of Judah who's conquered. And he looks, and he looks off to the distance, and instead of seeing a lion, he sees a lamb that's slain. And so this lion conquers with his own blood being shed for his enemies, who's all of us. We are all rebels, and so we need Jesus Revelation 5 verse 9, these people that are brought into this kingdom sing a new song and they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Remember the scroll that Jesus stood and opened, we see visions and imagery of that now. And reminds us that he is the only one worthy to stand and open the scroll and say, it is fulfilled in me, the person and work of Jesus. And we're invited into that. And this is the new song we sing. Praise God for the new covenant. It's not through the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but rather through the blood, shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And so we sing this new covenant song, the song of the cross and the resurrection, and we enter into this new creation project with him. Jesus is king, and the advancement of his kingdom cannot be stopped. This song is one of endless hope and endless joy. It is eternal. It is not temporary. It is not of this age. as Jesus, when he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this age. It's a whole new way. It's not some mesh of all the kingdoms of this age. It's not finding the right balance. It is a whole new way. And again, this is good news for those who know Jesus is King. To the hurting, to the outcast, to those who know they need a Savior, to those who know they need a good King because they can't do it themselves. This is good news. That's what we want to invite you into. And so we we that that's why that core truth matters for us. And we have three values that flow from that and close just quickly. Let me go over these. First, the first value that flows from that is we will keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. Unapologetically, it's about Jesus. Beginning to end, right? I haven't even try to hide it. Like I used to preach a sermon and hope I could like, you know, get to the Jesus part and it wouldn't be expected. But I don't even care now. Like I love that if you're sitting there saying, oh, I know where he's going, he's going to Jesus. And I, I hope you're there. I hope you see it. I hope we see it on every line, on every page, on everything we do, that it's all about Jesus from beginning to end. We don't have anything clever to bring to the table. We don't have anything to offer. It's all about Jesus. That's the only hope we have. And if you ever hear anything different, may God remove us as a church. So we will keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. Secondly, we will depend on Jesus to accomplish his mission. So this doesn't only mean that we're going to do the Lord's work. It means we're going to do it in his way. We're fully dependent on the spirit. If the spirit doesn't move, we've got nothing. Like my, my heart, one of the things I've been praying for for New Eden Church is that we would not be a church plant that just sees growth through, through church transfer, meaning coming from other churches. Praise God if we're a place where people can flourish and grow. Or maybe we're a place of healing for those who have been burnt out on religion. Hey, praise God for that. But I want to see people in our city who are converted, who once did not see the beauty of Jesus. And the Spirit's taking cold, dead hearts and ripping them out and replacing them with hearts of flesh that, that love God and love others, that take blind eyes and, and cause them to see. I mean, that's the hope we have. That's it. And here's the thing. Like, we've got to depend on Jesus for that. Like, I think about that, and I, I think, and I'm like, there's no way or too many barriers for different people to come to faith or you know, Christianity has been too misaligned or whatever and we can be tempted to try to make it attractive from a worldly perspective. Forget that, that's not it. We're fully dependent on the spirit and that's our prayer, may God make it so. That's why we abide in Jesus because we absolutely need him and we're unapologetic about that. So we will keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. We will depend on Jesus to accomplish his mission and last, we will be guided by the primary ethic of God's kingdom. Love God and love others. That's it. If those one of those two things, which are linked, so you can't do one without the other, if they are not the driving point behind everything we do, then we will get caught up into seeking to amass power and control and go about the kingdom the way of this age. And so we love God and we love others. It means we, we love God. It's evidenced by our personal sanctification in our own holiness. That's how we were created to flourish, right? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is not this burdensome thing. Rather, it's like, hey, if you love me, if you get what we're talking about with flourishing, then naturally this will flow out of you. As you sit with me, as you abide in me, you will grow. It doesn't mean perfection by any means, at all. But it means that we run to Jesus. Again, we depend on him and everything to grow us. And so we believe what he says. But it's not just personal, Holiness is also corporate holiness. This would be societal justice and justice in a biblical framework in the social sphere, right? So it's the enacting of biblical justice. Sin no longer has dominion over us personally or societally. And because Jesus has defeated that and we're given his spirit, we now have power to see kingdom come and be his agents of transformation, starting in our hearts and flowing to the world around us, Right? Um, first John 4:19 talks about this. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so we love God and we love others. We don't pick between, uh, you have different maybe traditions that emphasize personal holiness and ignore um, corporate Holiness or justice in the corporate sphere, in the public sphere. Then you have different traditions that only emphasize um, justice in the public sphere and ignore what God says, right? Uh, About what we do um, in our personal lives, right? Both matter, and sin does not have dominion over us. So we love God and we love others. So we'll keep Jesus at the center of everything we do, we'll depend on Jesus to accomplish his mission. And we will be guided by the primary ethic of God's kingdom, love God and love others. And this is all the reason why we will do those things and we can do those things is because of the truth that Jesus is king and the advancement of his kingdom cannot be stopped. That's it. That's all we have. And so I hope this kind of helps you know what we mean when we talk about this this core truth and why it matters to us. Um, And we hope that you see that it matters for all of life, right, in the everyday um, not just in the the distant and the future, but in the here and now, um, and we would see Jesus's rule and reign indicator to the ends of the earth. And so I ask for you to pray toward that end. Continue to pray for us as leaders as we walk through just um, this, the coronavirus stuff and being a new church plan and financial needs and ways to steward resources and ways to care for our people New Eden Church, I love each of you. Um, I know it's been crazy, but I would not rather do this uh, with any other group of people. And I thank you, those of you that have become covenant members, thank you for um, taking ownership of this church because this is yours, right? Ultimately, it's Jesus's right? But he gives the keys of the kingdom to the body to exercise. And so we want to see people come to faith. We want to see people invited into our midst, those that are hurting or dechurched. churched um, Invite them in once we start gathering again on August 2nd. Um, invite them in um, so they can experience hopefully Jesus and also go in peace and be the church this week. I love you New Eden.